Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with a very special guest, Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver, which is one of the books... One of the few books in my life that I've read multiple times, and I have to listen to it in audiobook form, but thankfully, it's your voice that I get to listen to at least part of the time. So uh, how's it going, Bob? Going great, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure. Um, so since it's a failure podcast, what I like to do at the beginning is have the guest pump themselves up and inflate their ego before we deflate it. And you've got plenty of things to brag about. And so even if you don't typically brag, I'd like you to, to do a shameless self-promotion or humble brag, whatever you want to call it, where you can say all the cool things you've done so people know um, kind of the stakes we're talking about when we talk about the more difficult times. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've had successes and I've had failures. I mean, I think like everybody else in life. So yeah, I've been fortunate to accomplish some some pretty good things, but I've been around a long time. And I've had a lot of chances too. So what kind of things have you accomplished? Yeah. Yeah, probably the thing I'm best known for is I've co-authored a book series with John David Mann, uh, the main book being The Go-Giver, which has sold uh, about a million hundred thousand copies. So it's it's had some success and I've had a you know fairly successful speaking career over 30 years. So a lot of adventures along the way and a lot, a lot of failures. That's awesome. So during that time, is there is there a specific moment that stands out when you felt the best or when you felt like you most made it? Or is it always the thing where like you're, kind of not feeling like you made it. Uh, and there's always more things to do. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a sense of accomplishment when you, when you hit something that, that, um, you know, that you feel is worthwhile. So, and you can feel good about that, but it, you know, I mean, I think you go on to the next, I think most of us, I think it's human nature that we, when we, we do hit something significant, we take a moment and feel good about it and we appreciate it. We have gratitude mm -hmm. for it, but then you, you move on to the next, next thing. And uh, your co-author is uh, John David Mann. Is that the name, right? Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant writer. He, um, I think you said you knew before other people knew that he was a fantastic storyteller. Oh, well, the people in his, he just, the people who knew him all knew he was fantastic. I mean, you got to him early. And so yeah. you got to like benefit from the fact <laughs> that not everybody in the world knew. And then. Right. Um, exactly. Uh, now people do know, but uh, yeah. I'm amazed. How did that uh, I know a little bit about how it happened, but I, I'm sure the listeners don't know much. How did you two team up and how did you become such a good um, like symbiotic relationship of, of writing? It seems like it'd be not an easy thing to jump into. Uh, John was the editor in chief of a magazine I used to write a monthly column for. And so uh, he always did such a great job editing it, but he was always very humble when he did it. And, you know, he'd always send me back little notes saying, you know, I made this correction here. I moved this here. I took this out. Is that OK? Which, you know, an editor doesn't really have to do. And mm -hmm. So it was very nice of him to do that. Um, but, you know, the running joke was I would always write him back saying, John, not only is it OK, uh, you write my stuff better than I write my stuff. And, and again, you know, although at the time he wasn't as well known because now, you know, he's the co-author with a number of people on a number of New York Times bestselling books. He's the he's the co-author of choice for any publisher 
or agent who has somebody, you know, a celebrity, a big business person, a, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, has a book inside them, but they need a, a writer, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. John's that guy they, they go to now. So he's very well known now. Um, but back then, you know, few people other than his, you know, his, his circle uh, of influence really knew. Uh, but, you know, again, I was very fortunate. I was one of them who did. So he was the only one I wanted to, uh, you know, I brought this idea of a, you know, the, the idea that I had regarding the go-giver, but it wasn't very finely developed in any way. And, um, and fortunately he said yes to it, you know, so that's, that's really how it works. Do you remember what the original pitch was? What your original idea was that you came to him with? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd had a, a book called Endless Referrals years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it was basically about how entrepreneurs and business people could um, uh, could build the kinds of relationships in their communities that would cause people to want to do business with them directly and refer them to others. The, the, the basic premise was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. So it was sort of that idea of taking the how-to, because it was a how-to book, and putting it into a business parable, because I'd always enjoyed reading parables. I always felt, you know, stories make a great, you know, seem to connect on a much deeper level with with people. And mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, so that was pretty much it. So I had a very basic idea of some of the characters, again, just very not developed, but just just there. And so we we actually when I told him about this and he was actually very busy at the time, but he and his um well, at that time, his fiance Anna, now his his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they just wrote a great book together uh, called "The Go Giver Marriage" <laughs> that that the two mm-hmm. of them just wrote together. But um, but uh, they took a drive. They were visiting her mom in uh, outside of Tampa, and they took a um, about a four hour drive to come to Jupiter, where I live, and we had about a three hour dinner at a restaurant, and we just discussed the idea of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of what we saw it as being and so forth. And even then he took a few weeks to decide. And finally he called and said, you know, Anna and I have been talking about this and yeah, it seems like a good idea. Let's do this. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying though, the parable thing is I pointed over at the greatest salesman in the world to my right here on the back. Cause that was the first, that was the first business parable I ever read. Me too. Yeah. I haven't even, I'm still stuck on some of the scrolls. I haven't even finished it cause I'm not going past it until I do the thing. But I haven't spent enough time doing the things because I move on. You know, my ADHD brings me to different books. But uh, I, I like that method because it's it it kind of bypasses a lot of the the need for factual, scientific, whatever rigor. But but still, if you base it on principles that are true and and mm-hmm. you, know, you know verifiable, then the story aspect can just make it stick a lot better in the listener's head and like everyone's a lot of people have said it and you've said it on another podcast, but about how, you know, facts tell and stories sell, but I think. Yeah. story. Well, you know, so, so what, what John and I say about that is that it, it, that's the saying. Yeah. Facts tell stories sell. We like to say that, that stories connect. Oh, that's nice. And, And it's once the connections made now the selling can take place. Mm-hmm. So we don't know whether or not the, you know, a story actually does. I suppose those could, but I think what it really does is stories connect on a more of a, uh, a heart to heart level, a deeper yeah. level than just the facts. And I think when I hear that, I don't think of sell as in like sales. I think more like as in get buy-in from your own brain on whether or not this thing can, can stick and has lasting power is how I 
Well, that is that is sale. I mean, if you're communicating an idea to someone that you want to take them to take action on, that's selling. That's true. Yeah. And I, I think what, what happens is, you know, most of the world has a, a kind of a negative. There's a, you know, for, for most of the world, there's a negative connotation when it comes to the word sell or mm -hmm. selling. And so they they may think of selling as something you do to somebody, you know, as opposed to someone you, something you do for someone. Or they think of selling as trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need when that's not really selling, that's being a con artist, right? So I think if we were going to define selling and we define it as, you know, discovering what that other person needs, wants, or desires and helping them to get it, now we can look at the word selling in a different context and we can feel good about it yeah i think um there's an author phil m jones i don't know if you've uh, heard of him phil's a great great friend of mine oh well that's awesome because i love the way he put it in that audible workshop one i think it's only available on audible but he says uh it's earning the right to make a recommendation and so like ha it's beautiful knowing enough about them so that you can give them something that's actually valuable to them exactly. and that and if you can't do that you shouldn't be trying to sell them the the thing yeah. Um, and I thought that was a great way of viewing it because I've had that Perfect. same negative association with sales. I my my shields go up pretty quickly. Being from Boston originally, I uh, I don't. What part of Boston are you from? Uh, I'm from Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, you oh. are. I I actually was in Peabody for my first four years. Oh, nice. So we're neighbors, and then I, yeah. I grew up in the Natick area. Okay, yeah, I went to St. John's Prep in Danvers. So oh, okay, sure, very famous in that whole area. Yeah, yeah. And then wow. I lived in Cambridge, but now I'm in Kansas City um, and lived in Denver. But till I was 27, lived in Boston area. I know you lived there at least for a while because you're talking about the Heinz. It wasn't the convention center or some older name. Yeah, I didn't live something. there at the time. I actually lived in oh, Florida. Okay. At the time. I spoke at the, um, uh, was it Heinz? Was it Heinz <laughs> Auditorium? I think that's <laughs> some weirder older name, but now it's the convention center. I think it was like Heinz meeting place or something. It was some. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a big uh, convention center. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they called it that at the time. At least uh, you and the podcast host who I was listening to were debating over it and like we are now. And but except I have less info than he had. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not not exactly sure. So on the subject of failure, at least I, I did hear that you were saying that you don't like change. Mm -hmm. I at least heard you say that you're kind of resistant to change. You'd rather have things stay the same. Sure. No matter what you like or want, things won't stay the same. Change is going to happen anyway. Yeah. Have you had any big failures or mistakes around that, trying to stay steadfast in your, in your ways and not buying into new things that you should have jumped on earlier? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a, that was a big thing with me. Um, I think the late, mid to late, maybe late 90s, I guess, when the internet was really becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a good business set up and it was a traditional, you know, it did it through phone and mail and all those different things. And, uh, you know, it was rolling along. And at that time, you know, the internet started to really pop up and email and even websites and kind of different things. And yeah, I wanted no part of it whatsoever. And, you know, my feeling at the time was, well, I have a strong enough clientele and they're loyal to me and this and that and here and there. And no, <laughs> it was so early to that. It looks so terrible. I mean, all the websites look bad. Every, it was hard to picture what it could be. Well, it, yeah, yeah, you're right. But it was, but it was, you all, you know, you know, 
for someone like me, I'm not someone you would call a futurist. There are people who can kind of see, you know, as to what's going to be the trend. And they, mm-hmm. you know, with me, my thought was, ah, this internet thing's never going to happen. But I also didn't want it to happen because, again, I was doing well, you know, well as I was. I liked how things were and I didn't want to change. And, you know, one of the things I talked about was, you know, in the personal development movement, which, you know, we're all part of. And yeah, there's there's almost a, a political correctness that you're supposed to really like change. You know, everything <laughs> is, you know, change is good and this and that and, you know, embrace. Well, you know, I, I hate change. You know, I like to get really good at something and then just go with it. Right. But that's not life. That's not real life. And successful people live in truths. And to the degree that you decide you're not going to live in a truth or you just don't make a decision to, you know, you, you sort of just let things happen. Uh, you know, you can ignore the truth. You can deny the truth. But, you know, Bob Proctor used to say you can never alter the truth. Yeah. And uh, so I my business just went right down the tubes i basically was starting it at uh, ground zero again and uh, had to had to rebuild so in that time of rebuilding what were you feeling were you feeling like you a lot of people can either really give into the whole i'm a failure thing or they can be like okay this is my chance to change things or they just kind of meander for a while what was your feelings when you were like okay i've got to finally adopt this internet thing or i gotta i gotta change i gotta shed some of my old uh, ways and take on some new ones. Was there any kind of either mindset shift or things you were telling yourself in order to, to reconcile that with what you wanted? Oh, I was mad at myself. I took full responsibility for that failure. I knew that was just me being lazy. You know, it was me not doing what I really kind of knew I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I had to, I had to start to learn. And, uh, you know, it's not that I ever became an expert with technology or the internet, but I started surrounding myself more with people and bringing on people who could do that kind of thing. People who like change and are comfortable with it? Uh, well, people who like technology. Okay. And they could help me navigate it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I have a pretty big presence on social media. Much of our business now is, is through the internet and technology and, and all these things. And, you know, again, it's not that I would know how to code any of that stuff, but mm-hmm. I can use it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so that's the thing. So I had to take a weakness and turn it into a strength because I, you know, I ended up knowing that that was going to be a, a truth. It wasn't, it wasn't something that could be avoided. Yeah. Cause you said successful people live in truths and that means they don't lie to themselves about the reality of their situation. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And, but how do you know if you're seeing the truth? Well, I, I don't know if we, we ever really know for sure. It's a great question. I think what we can do is, is try to take all the facts around us or what, what appears to be facts to us and consider them and weigh them and, mm-hmm. and look at what makes sense based on history and what makes sense based on the present and, and, and so forth. And then you make the best decision you can. You know, Annie, Annie Duke uh, wrote a couple of great books. Uh, oh, yeah, the poker player who turned into yeah. a author who writes really non-poker player type of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's all based on making decisions, which of course in poker, you're yeah. always doing, right. And I'm not a poker player. Blackjack's my only, my only game. I am. So I didn't read any of the stuff she did. afterwards. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, her books are fascinating. Well, I have to, is what I mean. Is like, I've, I've heard a lot of good things, but I mainly know her as the poker player. Cause I yeah. used to play a lot. Yeah. So um, Thinking in bets was her first book. And then I think, 
how to make decisions was her second. I can't remember. I've read both of them. She has another one coming out, I think again soon, but those first two were great. But basically what she, you know, what she was saying is, you know, you, you can never be hundred percent certain of anything. What you can do is go about the decision-making process in the best way possible mm -hmm. so that you put the odds as much in your favor as you possibly can, then, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. But at least if you're, if you make the right decisions based on the information that you can uh, put together, now you've, you know, you've created that benevolent context for success. Whenever I was playing poker, if I, if I, in that moment made the right decision, but then whatever bad luck came about and, and screwed me. Cards, they still got to get the right cards. Sure. Yeah. But as long, I felt good as long as I made the right decision exactly. in that moment. And I think that's all probably we can do as, as business owners or as people who are trying to figure out what's going to happen with the future. It's funny because I used to do a lot of financial planning and forward-looking forecasting five-year business plans. It's like, I'm not a psychic. I'm right. from Salem. I'm used to paying people to lie to me. <laughs> How much do you want to pay me to lie to you? Because I can tell you, I don't know what the future is. And you're also going to have to go do this. I, I'm not even the one doing the, the selling. Right. You know? I just put the numbers. I can say mathematically, here's what it'll be like. But um, it's interesting that we can kind of trick ourselves that once something's in like a fancy spreadsheet, that then it's kind of more reality than it was before, even though not much has changed in the real world uh, about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But to go back to the go-giver, because I feel like uh, if I don't let the listeners know the core pieces of it and have you let them know, uh, I feel like it would be a disservice because it's counterintuitive uh, for sure, but it's been one of the most um, impactful things in my life, at least in terms of a way of thinking. Um, and, and I don't, like I said, I don't read books. I, my ADHD makes it hard for me to read a physical book. So I'll usually listen to the audiobook, buy the physical book, give that to someone who reads physical books and say, Hey, this is a great book. I read it. Don't look at the creases and lack thereof or whatever, but you know, <laughs> this is something you should read because I know I can help them out. But um, so I've listened to it a few times, but uh, can you just give us a quick summary of what you think is the most important components of it? Because it's all about not thinking about what you can get out of a situation. Even when you're giving, you're not thinking about what you can get from the act of giving, right? It's more about yeah. just showing up to make sure that you're, trying to provide as much of yourself in service of others as you can. Um, and then that kind of just comes back around to you because who doesn't want to help somebody who's helped them out? You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say the basic premise of the book is that shifting your, your focus. I think that's where it really all begins mm -hmm. uh, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that, as you alluded to, that, that doing so is not only a more pleasant way, a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. And, you know, not for any woo-woo way out there, magical, mystical type of reasons, it actually makes very rational sense when you think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I, I think you, you began to say this, that when you are that person who can take your focus off yourself and instead place it on serving others, right? Discovering their needs, their wants, their desires, helping to solve their problems, being focused on helping bring them closer to happiness, uh, people feel good about you. They feel great about you. 
right? They, they want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to do business with you, if that makes sense for them. But mm -hmm. they definitely want to tell others about you and be what we call your personal walking ambassador. <laughs> so, um, so it actually makes, you know, very logical sense yeah. that that would be a way to do business. You know, people say, well, but, you know, isn't that kind of strange? I mean, you're focusing on others. Isn't that a bit unrealistic? Isn't that naive? Well, you think about it, you know, and I say this whenever I speak at sales conferences, uh, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Yeah. Right. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money or you'd like the sale to happen or even because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And when you think about it, uh, that's the only reason why anybody should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. So this is great news. Mm hmm for that entrepreneur or salesperson who really does care about making that other person's life better through their product or service. It's also why John David Mann and I say that that money is simply an echo of value, right? Money is an echo of value. It's the, it's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which really just means that, that the focus needs to be on the value you're giving. Okay, the that's where the focus is. The money you receive is a very natural result of the value you've provided. Yeah, because I think any other form of of attaining sales and money that way isn't sustainable because right. it relies on tricking people and, and making them, or at least not uh, not giving them the things they need, but instead convincing them in some way to to do what you want, not what they want, or and what's in. There your benefit rather to do what's going to be in their benefit exactly yeah and even if the person doesn't have so like a good example that one of my previous guests used about just reciprocity and how deep that is in us as a culture as a you know as we evolved is like if you're out to dinner and you're trying to pay for the dinner and the other person takes the check and pays for it uh instead of you might battle for a little bit but eventually you'll give in but you'll say i'll get the next one you know because you know that you you feel indebted to them, even if it's not official, even if it's not real, you know, you want to, you want to even the odds or even the tables when, when you feel like someone's gone out of their way to help you. And so even if that person that you're helping doesn't necessarily have money, everybody likes to know a guy that, who is a solution to something. And so they might run into someone else who needs what you have and they'd be more than happy to tell that person about you. So I think, you know, even when there's no discernible way that that could ever come back to help you, um, there's no reason not to be, uh, as true to yourself in terms of like being that type of person. Well, that's, I, I think you make a great point there What you, you know, what you really want to be is congruent with your personal values. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you give with the idea of having to receive or to get back something from that person you give because it's, it's who you are. It's, it's the way you are. It's, it's who you are. And because it's who you are, it's what you do, but you're also willing to receive when those things come to you. Uh, we like to say, give without attachment to the results. That's a good way. Because when you 
Yeah, when you're giving value and you're planting all these seeds of goodwill, you're planting all these seeds of great will. And again, you've got now a, a network of people who they know you, they like you, they trust you, they want to see you succeed, they want to be part of your life. Um, what you've done is you've created what we call that benevolent context for your success. I like that. And it's got Ben in it. Benevolent. So, um, and the part <laughs> that I did not read, or I, the part that I missed the first time reading through was the, you need to be able to receive too. Cause I would get after the first read through of it, I would get to the point where I'd be giving, giving, and then they try to give back in any way. And I'd be like, no, this isn't how it works. <laughs> I give to you. And that's all that happens. Cause I wasn't realizing that you also have to. Right. That's not sustainable. Is it? It's like breathing out, but not breathing in. You know, it's like watching the tide go out and expecting it not to come back in. Uh, yeah. Life doesn't work that way. Giving and receiving are really, they're two sides of the very same coin. Yeah. And they, they work in tandem. I couldn't have been giving if they weren't receiving. That's right. So my whole, what I wanted to do wouldn't be able to happen if, uh, if they weren't doing the thing that I was resisting. So I thought that was an important point that I missed the first time. Um, but being a guest on the show, you get uh, a get out of fail free card which uh, awesome. is really just a, a play on the Monopoly card. I'm going to pretend to hand this through the internet to you. Okay. okay. So if there, if you had a get out of fail free card and you could use it to currently, not historically, pursue a passion, a hobby, an interest, a thing that you've wanted to pursue, but you've avoided because of the amount of failure related to it. Like for example, me, I'd be stand-up comedy or something like that because you have to go bomb on stage a ton of times. And while I know that's a requirement, I'd like to avoid some of that stuff. Uh, is there anything like me, a musician or an actor? Is there something that you would pursue if you had to get out of fail free card that you might uh, have avoided otherwise? Maybe stand-up comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried any anything in that realm besides being a key, keynote? You know, I, I never have, but I think it's only because it's it's not so much fear of it, although, gosh, that, you know, certainly going up there, uh, you know, it's one thing being on stage when you speak and, and, and being humorous because you're sharing stories that, you know, that's one thing. I, but to go up there with the idea that everybody is expecting you to make them laugh. Yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't experienced that and I, um, and that could be scary. So I, I, I haven't done it, not for that reason. I just have never taken the time to, to pursue that. But, um, but that would probably be if there was a, 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 a would you say get out of failure card? You called it get out of fail free, like get out of jail free, but fail free, get out of fail, get out of fail, oh, get out of fail free. Yeah. Uh, that would, that would be it. That would be a good one. Cause, uh, I think to your point, uh, I call it business meeting, stand-up comedy. Like if you tell a joke in a business meeting, the bar is so low, they're, they're not even expecting to laugh ever. So the, they want to laugh, you know, they're ready. They're primed to laugh at any joke that's being told. But if you're like on stage and you're supposed to be telling jokes, like every 20 seconds, they're judging whether or not you're funny. And it's, it's, that's an intense level of, of, Oh gosh. Of uh, competition. So I, I like, you know, I'm sure keynotes are similar where the jokes don't have to be as good because people aren't expecting to laugh as much during those kind of situations. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things there. First of all, you know, there's an old saying, and I don't know who said it first, you only have to be funny if you expect to get paid. <laughs> so being, you know, ha, you know, being able to, to create laughter and be able to entertain during a keynote talk 
uh, or even a seminar or something like that is is important. Mm-hmm. You do need to be able to do that. That's not the same as telling jokes, right? Um, but but it's still very important. So now that there's as far as if there's an expectation from the audience, probably not. But you still need to be able to. But I would say it still doesn't hold a candle to having to go on stage as a stand-up where that is the expect, you know, that is the purpose you're up there. So. Yeah. I don't know of any job where you're as much judged by everyone uh, so frequently, you know? Sure. Uh, I also like to say, instead of fake it till you make it, which I'm not a huge fan of, I say fail it till you nail it. Love it. Is there anything currently that you're working on that you don't know what's going to happen with it. You don't know how it's going to work out, but you're going to fail it till you nail it. Yeah. Um, my business partner, Kathy Tajanel and I, we have the go giver, uh, community, which is an online business network and it's growing. Is that the go giver success Alliance? Is that the one or no? Uh, no, the, the go giver success Alliance is a private mentorship group within that. Okay. But it's actually the Go Giver Community, the Go Giver Community.com. Uh, the Go Giver Community is actually the full community. Um, and uh, so that's something that we have really put our heart and soul into for the past, I'd say, about a year and a half. And we plan to continue to do that and put our heart and soul into it, whether that uh, ever, you know, hits bigger or not. Mm-hmm. It's something that we both believe in very much. And it's been growing, but, you know, it, it never grows as fast as you want it to. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, because you're so you're saying the community aspect is something that's new to you and growing that, fostering it, trying to figure out how to connect people. Yeah, well, you know, you're always working on your messaging and you're always, uh, you know, you're, you're always looking at what hits and what doesn't, you know, the market will always tell you, but sometimes mm-hmm. you got to be able to figure out which variable it is and so forth. So yeah. uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, but, you know, we certainly would love to see it 10 times bigger than it is right now. So, you know, you know again, you never, never do know. We, yeah. we believe it's going to be a huge success, but you, know, you don't know until you know. Well, I hope it does really well. Uh, so is there anything else on failure or the concept of it or anything about um, what we've talked about before you want to get to where people can find you and connect with you? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, my, I, I don't know if you know my friends, uh, Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz, they wrote a great book called Go For No, right? And the, 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 the title is Go For No. The, the, um, the subtitle is Yes is the Destination, No is How You Get There which is basically the premise of everything they, they teach. And I, I, you know, I've always loved that. I, I love yours and I love theirs. And because I think anytime you, you decide to reframe failure or you reframe the word no, or you reframe any other kind of thing that could be discouraging mm-hmm. and you, you take it and make it into a positive, uh, it, it doesn't mean you want to fail. It doesn't mean yeah. you want to hear no. But it means that when you do, because of teachers like you and, be, and and people like Richard and Andrea, it means we can deal with it now in a much more practical way, in a much more effective way. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's possible to be successful without failure or mistakes or? Not not to a, you can't be successful. I don't think you can be successful yeah. to a, a large extent without having experienced failures, you know, failures. Yeah. I think getting a little bit more comfortable with it can, can help all of us. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's what I think it is. And, and, and you know, and I, and I say this in sale, when I speak with sales organizations, with the leadership, and that is that, you know, it's, it's not hearing the word no, that, that drives most salespeople 
who, you know, who could be great salespeople. It's not hearing no that drives them out of business and causes them to quit too early. Mm-hmm. It's that they think they're the only ones hearing the word no. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. everybody else is walking across the stage with these great awards and all these, and has the, the, you know, the trophies on the wall, you know, the, uh, yeah. The things on the wall, you know, that, oh, they just, it came easy for them. Well, no, of course it didn't. They got tons of no's. Right. Mm-hmm. And with you, you know, when you talk about failure and they think, well, it's not having a failure that causes a person to, to quit business. Okay. It's, it's thinking they're the only ones that had a failure. And especially in the social media age and everything else where everyone's just putting all the good stuff out there. Oh, it's amplified even more. Absolutely. Your tro- the trophies are being put in your face. <laughs> Absolutely. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. So we, it, it's important to inoculate people. And that's why I think what you're doing is so special and so fantastic. Uh, because people need to know you're going to fail. Now, again, you know, that doesn't mean you have to enjoy it. You don't want to fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to. A lot of people think I'm trying to fail. I'm not. No, it doesn't mean you're going to look for that. that. Right. No, it just, right. It just means you understand it is a thing. It's a truth. Yeah. You are going to fail. And, and the the only question is, how are you going to frame that failure? Are you going to say, well, I'm a failure. So I should, or you're going to say this thing failed. Maybe I did something wrong Mm -hmm. and I'm going to look for it. Or maybe I did things right and it failed anyway, you know, or what have you. Yeah. Um, but to the degree that we can take that failure, we can look at it objectively. Uh, you know, after we get ticked, we have, a, we can get ticked yeah, or feel sad or feel whatever, and then go back and look at the truth, you know, approach it from a, a, a viewpoint of truth and now advance that use that failure as a way to advance. Yeah. I think the only real true form of failure is to have one of those moments and not try to learn from it, to just try to ignore everything. Cause it's a costly I agree. lesson you just got. And if you don't get the lesson. You paid the price for no reason. That's right. Uh, so where can people go to find you and connect with you and, and see what you're doing these days? What, where would you send them? Yeah, they could go to either Berg, B-U-R-G dot com and or they could go to the go giver without the hyphen, the go giver community. Mm-hmm. So not the go giver dot com, but the go giver community dot com and uh, take a look at that. Awesome. Well, I'll put that in the show notes, but I appreciate so much you coming here and uh, I cannot wait to uh, check out some of the things you recommended and reread the book again with multiple people probably. And uh, I'm going to look into the community because I think that sounds like something I'd be interested in. Oh, thank you. We'd be glad to have you with us. And thank you so much for having me on the, uh, on your program. And thank you for all the great work you're doing. Well, the pleasure is online. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook, which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. 
Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.